Hey, and welcome to the 12 Stone Church Podcast. Thank you so much for taking time to be a part of today's message. We hope it inspires you, encourages you, and deepens your faith in Jesus. Enjoy the message. God has good stuff for us today. I am ready. I'm fired up. Are you ready? Fired up? Yeah. Tell the person next to you, I'm ready, I'm fired up. Just tell them, wherever you are, just tell them, I'm ready, and I'm fired up. Now, I don't, I don't usually bring it. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I don't usually um, read from Wikipedia when I step up to teach. It's not one of my habits. Today, I'm going to make an exception from Wikipedia. A storm hit Joplin, Missouri. Now, hang on. While storms are very real, physical, experiential things, we use them often as metaphors in concept to say, a storm hit my, my marriage, a storm hit my family, a storm hit my finances, a storm hit my career, a storm hit my health, a storm hit my education, a storm hit our economy. We, we, we kind of generalize it, and, and then we ask the question. In fact, let me just put the question of the day up here in front of us. We ask this question, how do I control my life in a world of storms? And so as I read about storms, as we talk about storms, you can apply it entirely as practically as you experience storms. Now, back to Wiki. A storm hit Joplin, Missouri. A devastating EF-5 rated tornado struck Joplin on the evening of Sunday, May 22 of 2011. Overall, the tornado killed 158 people, and it injured 1,150 others. It was the deadliest tornado to strike the U.S. since 1947. It also ranks as the costliest single tornado in U.S. history. The insurance payout was $2.8 billion. End of wiki. <laughs> now, why does that have my attention? Because on that date, on Sunday, May 22nd, one hour before the tornado hit, myself, along with three others, pulled into Joplin on our motorcycles. We were on this life dream trip of doing Route 66 from Santa Monica to Chicago. And on this particular day, the stop was Joplin. We pulled into a city park. We were going to chill for about an hour, grab some refreshments, and then drive across town and get to our hotel. And about 15 minutes in, Dave Roney looked up in the sky. He said, we're in trouble. I'm like, I, I'll be honest with him. Like, I don't even know what he's talking about. He says, you see those clouds over there? You see the billowing thing, the cumulus, whatever, whatever. Yeah, you see it looks like puffy, like cotton balls. He says, that, I, I'm from Wyoming. I'm telling you, brother, we are in serious trouble. He threw everything out, got his gear, and took off. And I'm like, what, what are we doing here? I mean, Dave overreacting. We got to the hotel, and we hauled to get there. About 15 minutes into the hotel room, and everything went dark. No electricity. And the tornado hit. It hit the park where we just were and the path that we drove and did not hit the hotel. It was one of the most terrifying experiences and evenings of my life. I mean, it was unsettling. 
you have storms. They may not seem much to anybody else, but for you, they're storms. They weigh on you. They're heavy on you. How many are in or have been in a storm of any kind anywhere in your life? Just metaphorically speaking, hello, this is for all of us. And it brings us to the story today in the Jesus Storybook Bible. This is worth the whole read. I'm not even going to cut any pages out of this one. We're just going to go right to the story. The captain, I want you to say that with me. The what? Captain. I, I can't hear you. The what? Captain. This captain's going to think things going to be a big conversation today. The captain of the storm. Now you'll find this actually in Matthew, Mark, and Luke in the Synoptic Gospels. The sun was going down. The air was warm and still. Let's go across the lake, Jesus said to his friends. Jesus had been helping people all day, and now he was tired. So they left the crowds at the shore and set out in a small fishing boat. Jesus climbed into the boat to take a nap. As soon as his head touched the pillow, he fell fast asleep. It was a beautiful evening. A gentle breeze rustled the sails. The friends were chatting happily, that is his disciples, happily as they headed out into the middle of the lake. Everything was perfect, just right for a nice, quiet sail. These were his disciples. They're used to being on the Sea of Galilee. They were only about halfway across when out of nowhere, whirling winds swept across the lake, fierce and strong like a hurricane. A blinding flash of lightning lit up the sky. Thunder roared right overhead. The storm blew the water into towering waves that hurled the little boat up, 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 then sent it hurling, crashing back down, down, down. The fishing boat was blown and buffeted and tossed and turned back and forth, up and down, left and right, round and round. And in the middle of the storm, Jesus was what? Sleeping. I know a lot of teaching stops right there and say, you ever feel like Jesus was sleeping while you're in the storm? Let's get that over with. We aren't going to teach that, but how many just feel like that? Hands up. You've ever felt like Jesus was sleeping? He appreciates that. Now, Jesus' friends had been fishermen all their lives, but in all their years fishing on this lake, they had never once seen a storm like this one. No matter how they struggled with their ropes and sails, they couldn't control their boat. The storm was too big for them. But the storm wasn't too big for Jesus. Help, they screamed. Wake up quick, Jesus. Jesus opened his eyes. Rescue us, save us, they shrieked. Don't you care? Don't you care don't you care come on Jesus don't you care that'll become important in today's conversation well of course Jesus cared and this was the very reason he had come to rescue them and to save them and not from physical storms mind you from from the spiritual storm from sin and death you probably understand that but Jesus stood up and spoke to the storm hush hush he said that's all and the strangest thing happened. The wind and the waves recognized Jesus' voice. They had heard it before, of course. It was the same voice that made them in the very beginning. They listened to Jesus and they did what he said. Immediately the wind stopped. The water calmed down. It glittered innocently in the moonlight and lapped quietly against the side of the boat as if nothing had happened. The little boat bobbed gently up and down. There was a deep stillness and a great quiet all around. And then Jesus turned to his wind-torn friends. 
Why were you scared? He asked. Did you forget who I am? Did you believe your fears instead of me? Jesus' friends were quiet, as quiet as the wind and the waves. And into their hearts came a different kind of storm. What kind of man is this? They asked themselves anxiously. Even the wind and the waves obey him, they said, because they didn't understand. They didn't realize yet that Jesus was the son of God. Jesus' friends had been so afraid. They had only seen the big waves. They had forgotten that if Jesus was with them, then they had nothing to be afraid of, no matter how small their boat or how big the storm. Hmm. What a horrific and amazing moment that had to be. And we ask, how do I control my life in a world of storms? I think there are things that we need to know and things we need to do. That's what we're going to talk about. What do you need to know? What do you need to do? If you're a note taker, start taking notes. If you're like, I don't take notes, I take pictures. Take pictures. Put it in your phone. What do you need to know? What do you need to do? I have about four hours of material. I'm going to shrink it to the time we actually have. <laughs> don't come tell me later. You know what else you could have said? Yes, I just ran out of time. What do you need to know? Here's the first. Jesus is captain of creation. Say it with me. Jesus is captain of creation. And now everywhere, whether you're in the online community, 12 Stone Home, whatever campus you're at, loud and proud, I want you to read with me. What is it? Jesus is captain of creation. Let me unpack some observations, the ones that we have time for barely. Here's the first. You can be on God's purpose and still hit storms. Just log it. You can, listen, you can be on God's purpose and still hit storms. These guys were in Jesus' boat. It was Jesus' idea, and Jesus was with them, and they still had a storm. Got it? At some point in your life, you got to get past the idea that if I join Jesus, all my storms go away. It is not true. In fact, you can be on purpose with Jesus and be in calm waters and sometimes stormy seas, and you're still on his purpose, and you can be off his purpose, out of his boat, doing your own thing, and sometimes have calm waters and sometimes stormy seas. The difference is who's on your boat and who can calm the seas and who's in control. Oh, it, do, it does matter, but we got to get past the idea that... that Jesus means in your life, you have no storms. It's not true. In this world, you will have trouble. John 16, 33. That's what he told his disciples. Let me translate it. In this world, storms will hit your life. On this earth, in a fallen world, storms are going to come. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Not I've removed all storms for the 70 some years you're on earth, should you have that many. I've overcome the world, which means the real threat to your life is eternity. Your soul is on the line. I know you think everything happening on earth is all there is. I know you think in the moment this is the big deal. This is not the big deal. This is 70 years compared to 70 million times, 70 million times, 70 million. What he rescued us from is the storms of eternity so that we could be with him forever. So take heart. The real threat has been removed. Now travel through storms on earth like you know he's in your boat. In fact, let's just be honest. Sometimes following Jesus adds storms to your life. Isn't that true? 
Sometimes just following Jesus increases your storms because you're swimming upstream in the downstream world if you really follow him, if he's captain. Another observation. Storms threaten us. Storms threaten us. Of, of course they do. You saw what happened to the disciples. I'm sure at first because, you know, at least four of them were, were fishermen and they're all used to, to the Sea of Galilee. They're like, ah, no big deal. We'll be fine. And then it got worse. I'm, how many times have you said, I'm, I'm good, God, no big deal? You're not really telling God you got it, but you sort of do. You're like not even praying about it. Like, I'll, I'll handle this. And, and then it gets worse. And when it gets worse, ooh, ooh, and then pretty soon, Jesus, Jesus, yeah. We, we get afraid. Just look at your neighbor. Just own it. Own it. Tell them, I've been afraid. Go ahead. Own it. Don't, don't, just stop with this. I've never been afraid. Liar. Of course you have. Yeah, I, I was entertained myself, so I thought I'd entertain you. Uh, t- top 10 poll of things you're, we're afraid of. I don't know if these are the top 10, but this, this is with the poll. So here's where I go. I, you, can, you can either say nope or yep, or you can put thumbs up, thumbs down, or, or not really. Okay, Let, let's just practice on the count of three. Let me hear a nope. One, two, three. Okay, that was no. I said nope. One, two, three. Nope. Okay. Yep. You're afraid. Let me hear a yep. One, two, three. Okay, nope, yep. You can go ahead and respond. You ready? Here's the first one. Public speaking. Are you afraid of it? Nope or yep? Okay, I'm not. I don't know what y'all are afraid of. It's like having a conversation. Heights. Yep. And you who come to me and say, why are you afraid of heights? Why are you afraid of public speaking? You don't die in public speaking. You just feel like it. <laughs> Heights, you can actually die. Marcia, do you remember when we went to Cedar Point? Uh, I think it was Ron and Deb's family, friends, whatever. I don't really. Anyhow, we were early on in our marriage, and the demon drop was the first thing when you walked in. And I'm like, you know what? I am tired of being afraid. I'm going to do that stupid demon drop because they say if you face your fears, you'll get over them. I am proof positive you do not get over them because you do it. It actually increases your fear. I'm never doing that again. So moving on. Uh, Number three, going to the dentist. That was number three. I'm like, sort of. Number four, snakes. Yep. Why do you think Satan possessed the snake in the garden? They're evil. Number number four, flying. Yeah, nope. Although Marsha and I... (laughs) We came back on a flight a couple months ago uh, from an event, and 20 minutes into the flight, I kid you not, it's never happened before in our lives, the, the pilot comes on, oh, this is your pilot. Do you smell that burnt smell? <laughs> I'm like, yeah. He's like, that's not good. I kid you not. That is not good. We're turning the plane around right now. We're heading back. I think we'll make it. Okay, he did not say, I think we'll make it. But what everybody heard on the plane is, do you know how many people I could have led to Jesus right then on the whole? Like if they had let me stand up on the plane and say, let me tell you about Jesus. I would have led everyone to Jesus at that moment. But we landed and there were fire trucks and they were looking for the fire and, you know, whatever, we're fine. Number six, spiders. Those came after the fall. There's no way that was created originally. Number seven, enclosed spaces, claustrophobia. Yeah, some yes, some no. So this is so unnecessary. But my brother, 
he, he passed away at 41 from a motorcycle accident, and it was sad, and it was a storm for the family and super. But, but we had talked for years, and, and he didn't want to be buried underground because he's claustrophobic. And I remember harassing him. I'm like, Ron, what are you talking about? You're going to be in a coffin. Like, it's, like, that is claustrophobic. Like, what is the difference if you're in a coffin above the ground or below the ground? He says, I'm claustrophobic. I don't want to be, but so he's buried in a mausoleum. I don't even, we laughed about it, and then heaven help us. He, he died young, and... He's in a, I hope he feels better about it. <laughs> Bro, you're not going to care. You're dead. Number eight, mice. Mice? Yeah, no, not for me. Dogs? Yeah, that's because they don't attack you. Yeah, we got to stop this silliness. Yeah, I'm not afraid of dogs until they attack me. I was, I was out doing a, a kind of my half walk, half jog a, a week ago, and uh, I came by this house that I've passed many times, and out comes this, like almost like a gray Great Dane, if there is such a thing. I don't know dogs. And like this, this Labrapoodle, I don't know, what a doodle, whatever, but it was a big, it was like 40, 50. I like the two of them come by, and they're not like, oh, let's be friends, or like, let's have lunch. And, and it was not like a good experience for me. And I'm like, I'm not usually from, hey, you know, guys, we're good. And I keep running. And these guys are circling. I'm like, you know, this isn't going to go well. And, and I'm not thinking I love Jesus right now. I'm thinking I'm going to send them to Jesus. So that's what's going on in my head. And, and then I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to move on. I did all the tricks. And I'm like, they're not stopping. I'm just going to run. I start rucking. That Labrador 45, they just jumped up and got a chunk back here in the it's called the rear end. For those of you who are like, where is he? Po-? And I'm like, man, that hurt. And I think I'm going to come back and, and do something that would put me in jail. Uh, and, and I got a little sympathy from Marsha. Not a lot. Not ratting her out publicly, but I'm just saying just a little. And then a couple days later, she's like, what's that big, deep bruise on your butt? And I'm like, that's the dog. We should go take him down. And then she had sympathy. So uh, this is just a, a, a notice for you to have dogs. I know you love your dogs and they love you. But when you let them out, they don't love everybody else. Okay, number 10, thunder and lightning. Yep, nope. Yeah, nope. But you know what did terrify me? Leaving Joplin. The next morning, it was so dark. Let, let me just show you in the morning. Do you guys still have the picture? I didn't use the picture earlier. This is a, this is a picture of uh, one of the vehicles that drove up. This is what their car looked like coming through the night. They drove up in that. We had to leave the next morning, and the thunder started, and the dark clouds came over, and we drove two to three hours in the worst storm because we had to end our trip go south make room in the hotel and if we'd stayed we would have been stuck there with no food no electricity no nothing for her i drove that motorcycle and i I just shook because we were hydroplaning it was a half inch of rain for two to three hours it was terrifying when it says the disciples were afraid i'm like i get being afraid don't you I'm not, I'm not even sure Jesus was going after them and that the lack of faith was because they were afraid. I'm not, I'm not sure I believe that. Stay with me for a second. Hang on. I think they should have been terrified. I, I think part of being terrified, experiencing anxiety, worries, what drives us to God. I wonder, I just, I don't know, I'm probably wrong, but I wonder if their lack of faith, hang on, wasn't that they were afraid It's that they questioned the care of Jesus. Not that they were afraid. 
But being afraid made him question the caring heart of Jesus. Maybe the lack of faith wasn't that they had fear. Maybe the lack of the faith they had is that they didn't trust that Jesus still cared. Let me read from Mark chapter 4, verse 38. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Pause. Don't you care if we drown? Don't you care? Maybe fear makes you question the care of Jesus, and faith makes you cry out to Jesus because you know he cares. There's a difference. When you're in a storm, do you question the goodness of God? Maybe that's the thing that has to shift. Because he cares for you. Peter was on that boat. Look what he wrote later. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties like he's confessing, you're get, you have some anxieties. Now take them and cast them all on him because he what? Cares. He what? Cares. He cares for you. In your anxiety and worry and storms, he cares for you. The last observation, I got to move on. Jesus more, was more, <sighs> Jesus was more than they understood. Whew. You know what happened on that boat? Jesus was more than they understood. Oh, he's the Messiah. Hang on. He's, he's more. The, the wind and the waves obey him. The supernatural created the natural. Science has a boss. Creation has a creator. You have a Lord. You're supposed to be like the wind and waves. He speaks and you obey. He is the center of creation. He is not merely from God. He is God. And this, this was way more than they understood. See, Jesus was asleep on the boat and at peace because he was not threatened. He never has been. He was always in control and he always cares. He is always in control, and he always cares. I'm saying that so the slow people can write it down. He's always in control, and he always cares. And once you know he's in control and he cares, which is what got sealed in the moment, then there are things you should do. Ready to talk about the things you should do? Ready to talk about the things you should do? I was waiting for the fire. I was, I was ready. Thank you. It's more than I asked for, but I'll take it. See, how do I control my life in a world of storms? You don't. You surrender it to the one who is in control and always cares. Yeah? So there are things that you do. Let's talk about what do you do? What do you need to do? Pick a boat. Say it with me. Do what? Okay. I want to do something. Just go with me. Just let me do it. <laughs> just, just go with me. You got, you, got to, you got to pick a boat. Here's what I mean. There, there are two boats, and you got to pick one. There are two boats, and you got to pick one. Now, one boat, if you will, 
is right here, Jesus is Lord. And in this boat, this is where Jesus is captain. Jesus is captain of the boat. This is the life he offers. This is what it means to, to, to be in faith with Jesus. This is what you were created for. This is the world he designed for you. He, he says, go with me. We're going to get in the boat. We're going to go to the other side. Storms may come, but he is always in control and always cares. So get on his boat where Jesus is captain of your life. This is why Jesus gave his life on the cross to restore us to him, to cover our sin debt. He rose from the dead to give us new life. If you don't know Jesus, this is his invitation. There's no life like it. But you don't have to. We all have a free will. And the truth of the matter is, all of us have sinned. All of us live originally far from God, and I am captain. Ah, we love this boat. It's my boat. I'm captain. And in the I am captain boat, there are reasons that you should not be captain of your life. And this video is an example of somebody who should not be captaining their boat. Check it out. And that is how you dry dock a boat, if, if that's your desire. There are reasons not to captain your own boat. But hang on, we love this boat. We, we love to be kept. We love to make our own decisions, set our own values, set our own calendar, spend the money the way we want, decide our own moral compass. We, we love this boat. My life, my way, I did it my way. I could have sung. I was so close. It's good, wasn't it? It was like almost on key. <laughs> we love this boat until the storm comes. Let me clarify what is a false view of Jesus, Christianity. There is no Christianity that has you in this boat. It doesn't exist. There is some Americanized false belief if not even a Bible Belt Christian thing, which is the kind of the southeastern of the United States where, the, where we exist as a church and wherever you're listening to this, that's what I mean by Bible way. We get this idea that, that I'm captain of my own life, my own boat, but Jesus is Coast Guard. When I mess up and the storms come, Jesus, calm the storm, fix the boat. You can go now. I'll go right back to living the way I was. That was never the offer. Doesn't even exist. And you have to pick a boat. Today, we're going to have a moment. What boat are you picking? By the way, you, you, you don't just pick Jesus as captain. The Holy Spirit has to draw you, reveal it to you, and help you. 
But the single most important decision you'll ever make is to move from this boat where I am captain to this boat where Jesus is captain. See, what do I do? The next thing, not just pick a boat, but obey like the wind and waves. Jot it down. Obey like the wind and waves. Not now Jesus is the one who's in control. Has the steering wheel, if you will. Guides your life. And when Jesus is captain of your boat, that means he's captain of your identity. He's captain of your values. He's captain of your calendar. Listen, there's no, what is the point of him being captain if you talk like you're in this boat but live like you're in that boat? How does that make any sense, honestly? Why would you even want Jesus as captain but then live like captain because you know the mess it produces? Which means when we come over here, the kindness and the mercy of God is that I get back to the life that can be blessed because God can't bless disobedience even if you're a follower of Christ. So the point of this boat is that you obey like the wind and waves. He speaks and you say, yes, Lord. He speaks and you say, what? Yes, Lord. So he's, he's captain of my marriage. That means that in our marriage, whew, yes, Lord. We have, we, have, oh, we have to be selfless, not selfish. You know, marriage is won by two selfless people, not selfish people. I was teaching in Delaware a couple weeks ago when I wasn't here at a church and one of the guys had heard uh, some previous teaching on marriage and heard that, you know, give the better half of the bigger half of the bagel. You know, you, oh, we, my wife loves that story where you tell that, that you have that bagel and then you, you go to the counter and they, they cut it in half the cinnamon bagel and there's always a bigger half and how you walk back to the table and you have a dilemma and you finally have to decide to give Marsha the bigger, the better half of the bagel. My wife loves that story because she always says to me, remember, I get the bigger, better half of the bagel. I'm like, your wife missed the whole point. When it's your decision, you give the bigger, better half. When it's her decision, she has to give the bigger, better half. Just for correction, for those of you who have totally misunderstood the point of the story. <laughs> Two selfless people. Is your marriage living like Jesus is captain? He's captain of my media. You know what that means for me? I quit doing social media years ago. You may have noticed. I never talk about it publicly. You just don't see me on any social media. I don't have an Instagram account. I'm not on Twitter. You see me on Facebook. You're like, yeah, you're weird. I know. Why is that? I had to stop. I had to stop for a host of reasons. One of them is it took me off purpose. I discovered that my purpose when I'm with my kids and with my family is to be attentive to them. And I was starting to use the moments and make them just right so I could use them on social media to get attention for me. And it took me out of the moment. Didn't help me. That may not be your problem. Stay on social media. I don't care. It's just, just like I had to like, this is distracting me, not helping me. And it tends to make me either please people or profane people. Like I get pushed to the extremes. I get dragged in. I get dragged into pleasing people. And I don't want to be a pleasing people, but I get dragged into it. Ben Franklin once uh, told a story of he, he wrote in his Pennsylvania Gazette and people got ticked at something that he said and he tried to help make sense of it and they didn't like it. And then he published a fable that went something like this on people pleasing. He 
said, there's a father and a son who had a donkey, and they were going to take him to market and sell the donkey. And on the way to the market, they ran into a person who said, well, you guys are idiots walking a donkey when a donkey's designed for riding. You should be on the donkey. So the father said, I guess he's right. I guess I'll do what he said. He got on the donkey. And then they ran to the next person and said, I cannot believe it. You guys are horrible. What are you doing? Making your son walk when a donkey can carry two people. That's what a donkey's for. So he said, well, I guess so. He put his son on donkey. And ran to the next person and said, oh, you guys are horrible people. What do you mean? Making a donkey carry two of you? Can't one of you walk? So the father got down and said, I guess I'll walk. And then ran the next person. They said, what kind of son are you raising? Making a dad walk and a son ride. Do you not have any decorum? Do you have any sense of what your son can become? This is horrible. Your son shouldn't be on there. So he got his son off. And the next person said, do you guys understand what a donkey's for? A donkey's for riding. Y'all are walking a donkey. You look so stupid. And finally, they just pushed the donkey over the edge and went home. And Ben Franklin said, I'm not going to get rid of my donkey to please you. You know, it's hard enough in this world to figure out who you're going to please. But for me, I either have to please Jesus or please people. And I find I can't do both very well. And social media just exhausts me and sucks me into pleasing people. So I stopped. It also sucks me into profaning people. It tends to make me angry and do slanderous. You're like, there was no social media time of Jesus, so he didn't talk about it. Let me just pause for a moment. Let me stand up and let me give you some scripture here. Because social media is nothing but words. And scripture talks about how you use your tongue. I tell you on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Those who consider themselves religious and yet do not keep a tight rein on their tongues to deceive themselves and their religion is worthless. Okay, I got to figure out, amen, how I'm going to do social media. So I decided I'm out. Doesn't mean you should be out. But you still have to ask yourself, every time you do social media, is Jesus captain? Because if you're in his boat, you live like Jesus. Yes? Why oh, so quiet? I don't know why. Well, let's keep it going. He's captain of my moral compass. You know, we live in modernism and then postmodernism. I grew up in modernism. I think we're in postmodernism. Let me just give you a quick background. Let me make it simple. In modernism, if truth is a train, then in modernism, the engine is the mind, and emotions and feelings are the caboose. And feelings are suspect, and they have to surrender to the mind. So modernism is really about rationalism. Each do the rational thing, and facts drive feelings. In postmodernism, they reverse. In postmodernism, emotions become the engine, and they drive everything. So if truth is a train, emotions drive truth. They become truth. Whatever you feel is true. And the mind and reasoning become suspect. That's how you can live in a society right now where people make decisions based on how they feel and based on how they feel that defines them. And when you, get, when you drink the water, you think that's so normal. It doesn't occur to you that you're, you've joined a philosophy that is over in that boat. When you get in the boat where Jesus is captain, Jesus is the engine. His word is truth. And that drives your mind and your emotions and they submit to him. Your moral compass is set by Jesus, yes? 
That's the only Christianity that was ever offered. And you can't sit in this boat and say, Jesus is Lord, and then make decisions as if you're captain. That's true in money. Everything Marsha and I own is the Lord's. Last 40 years, we've honored him with tithe. Tithe means 10th. It doesn't mean 3%, 4%, 8%, 12 15 20 It means 10%, and God gets the first 10%. Why? Because he owns it all. Because that protects me from all financial storms? No, we've had many. I've almost gone bankrupt financially. I had, more, I had more net worth at 26 than I did at 39 or 40. Took that long to recover when we planted the church. But there's never been a season of our life that we didn't honor God with the first 10% plus. Why? Because he's Lord, because I'm on his boat, because it's his, because he gives everything that I have. Because we obey like the wind and waves. And then people say, oh, that's Old Testament tithe. is Old Testament. That's the law. It's not New Testament love. I agree. I wish we were in the Old Testament in that sense. Because the law, 10%, that's easy. New Testament is always more, so it's 10 plus. It's all his. But all that to say, why would you want to be in the boat where you say Jesus is captain and then not live like he's captain? Because that's the only blessing that's available is saying, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord, obey like the wind and waves. And in all things, Romans 8, 28, God works together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. And we often quote that scripture without quoting the last part. In all things, God works together for the good. That is true. But for those who obey like the wind and waves and are called according to his purpose. I told you this would be long. At least I'm honoring that. What do you need to do? Last thought. Sleep like Jesus. Wouldn't this be great? Sleep like Jesus. <sighs> Let me take you to the scripture of Philippians, which has been set in my life as an anchor that I grew up in a very broken family, abandoned by my dad, pretty much on my own at 17. I've carried more anxiety, worry, and fear than I would ever want you to know. I've hit 60s. It's not gone. I just practice this verse almost every day. I'm not free from it. I surrender it. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again. Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Where is he? Near. He's on your boat. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So you feel the weight of the storm. Now bring that uncertainty. Bring that instability. Bring all that you cannot control. And bring it to him. He's near. Present your request to God. And the peace of God. This capacity to sleep in storms. Soul-centered peace which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. He posts guard right here in your mind and in your heart. Hang on. So that your thinking and your emotions can be rightly surrendered to him. Figure out how to practice that. See, how do I control my life in a world of storms? I don't. I surrender my life to the one who always controls 
and always cares. Amen? All right. What are you going to do with this? For some of you, you got to get honest to God. Quit, quit believing like following Jesus gives you a storm-free life. It doesn't. Quit thinking that. And that shift has to occur. Maybe you just have to settle with the fact that, you know what? Huh. Over here in the boat, I am calling myself a follower of Jesus Christ, and he is captain. And the truth of the matter is, the Spirit of God is revealing me to me right now where I need to get back to obedience. Where is the Spirit of God saying get back to obedience? Because he can't bless your disobedience. Maybe it is in your marriage. Maybe it is in your money. Maybe it is in your moral compass. Maybe it is in your social media. Maybe it's wherever it is in your life. Huh. Others of you are over here. If you're honest to God, some of us are Bible Belt Christians, which means we're really not. You might even be calling yourself a Christian, but you've never really got out of this boat. Maybe you know you're not. Maybe you always have known you're in this boat, and suddenly in your soul, you've just retained being captain, and you haven't surrendered that to him. Well, know this. God's always in control, and he always cares, which means he voluntarily came to earth, gave his life on the cross to cover your sin debt. This is a gospel of grace. There is forgiveness. You can be restored to the living God, but to get there, you have to get out of the boat. This is not just a four-sentence prayer. This is a shift from you being captain to him being captain. When we put prayers like this on the screen and we say this prayer to Jesus, and this is an example of the prayer, Lord Jesus, I believe you are God, the son who died to pay my sin debt and rose from the dead to give me new life. I ask you to forgive me and restore me to my heavenly father. I surrender to you as the captain of my life. Help me to obey you like the wind and waves. In Jesus' name, amen. Leave that prayer right there. What that means is you're in this boat. And by the way, this is happening right now. Wherever you are, online community, 12 Stone Home, one of the campuses. If God has intended, this is the day when you wake up spiritually. Thank you again for spending time with us today. A special thanks to those of you who generously give through 12 Stone. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about 12 Stone, make sure you follow us on social at 12 Stone Church and check out a location or a watch party near you. And if you enjoyed the podcast, you could subscribe, share it with your friends, hit the share button, or even take a screenshot and throw it in your social stories. And make sure to tag 12 Stone Church. Let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.